transitioning veterans into transportation jobs, moving from diesel to electric in the Golden State, and manufacturers sharpen their focus on the front line. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister Company, a global manufacturer with nearly a century of experience designing forklifts and high-capacity material handling equipment used in the world's most intense industries. Operations rely on Heister as a strong partner for everything from choosing the right mode of power source to their Edison award-winning operator assist solution, Heister Reaction. For more information, visit Heister.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, tomorrow is Veterans Day. One of the ways our industry helps to support our troops is through programs designed to transition veterans into logistics jobs. To hear how one vet made that transition, here is Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Evan Dexter, Vice President, Rental Product Management for Rider System, Inc. Evan is a former Marine turned trucking industry executive. Welcome, Evan. Thank you for your service and thanks for joining us to honor this Veterans Day. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Victoria. So I wanted to start by asking if you can tell us a bit about your background in the military and how you came to a career in trucking and logistics. Absolutely. Well, I grew up in the Massachusetts area and, you know, growing up, I always knew that I wanted to serve in the military. My grandfather was a career Navy man, and I think that had some influence on me uh, as a young adult. And, you know, I I wanted to ultimately become a Marine uh, versus the Navy, and that's the path I chose. And I was, when I, at the time when I was being um, recruited to play hockey in college, my intent was to join the military after graduating because I, I was truly passionate about sports and wanted to get a degree in business as well. However, a, a recruiter contacted me and told me that, you know, you could be a reservist while attending college. And I thought that sounded like a good fit at the time. So I enlisted at the age of 18 went off to boot camp after my freshman year of college in the summer and uh, graduated boot camp in August of 2001. And then shortly after 9-11 happened. So after 9-11, I I knew there was a good chance that uh, I would be deployed, which I was in 2003 and 2005, two times to uh, Iraq, where I was able to serve a total of four years of active duty with the Marines in a combat logistics operation role. Uh, driving trucks and um, and working with the Marines over overseas. So that that's how I got started in in the military. And after after my deployments and coming back to the states, uh, like a lot of military members, I I thought I wanted to pursue a career on, in in law enforcement and become a state trooper. And as I enlisted to sign up and join the Massachusetts State Police at a college career fair. On the way out, a, a rental manager from Ryder had a booth and, and pulled me aside and we started talking. And long story short, I ended up in Ryder's rental management trainee program in the rental product line. 
and 17 years later, I'm, I'm still at Ryder and uh, never ultimately ended up in my career in law enforcement. Wow. Uh, well, you know, we often hear that making the transition from the military to a career in this industry makes a lot of sense. So can you talk about some of the transferable skills that military veterans bring to the industry? You know, what makes them good candidates? Why did that Ryder rep sort of, you know, grab onto you when you were at that career fair? Yeah, one of the things that I really think makes uh, military members a, a good candidate at Ryder is we, we both have values, uh, both in the military as well as at Ryder. For example, the values in the, in the Marine Corps are honor, courage, and commitment. And at Ryder, our, our corporate values are responsible, determined, and trustworthy. So you know when you get somebody at, in, from the military coming to join the Ryder team, you have two organizations that, uh, that, that value um, those type of qualities within the people that they want joining their organizations. And I think that's, that's, trans, that's transferable from the military over into, into Ryder. And then secondly, you know, th there's a toughness that comes with, with a veteran or with a prior service member in our armed forces, and they've been tested. And that toughness is translatable over to the transportation industry. It takes critical thinking, uh, willingness to adapt and overcome the challenging situations in an ever-changing dynamic environment. And military people are, are very coachable, and uh, they, they work well in a diverse team of people. And I think those skill sets make, make for successful candidates when they're looking to get into transportation or logistics. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, on the flip side of that, what makes the industry so attractive, you know, to, to military veterans and, you know, people like you? Well, what, one thing is there, there are a lot of veterans already in the industry. So I think that naturally attracts um, people that are trying to transition from a military career into a civilian career. And they find that um, they can partner up. Uh, for example, Ryder has a veteran buddy program, and we also sponsor a uh, pathway home for veterans trans transitioning into civilian workforce. So I think naturally we, you can find that there's, there's a lot of similarities and people, again, that sh share those joint values. It's competitive, hardworking. There's great training at Ryder. There's great training in our military. So very transferable attributes from uh, military into the civilian world, specifically into the transportation industry. So I think it aligns very, very nicely. So, so you mentioned um, Ryder's long history of hiring military veterans. Can you tell us a little bit more about the buddy program that you mentioned and maybe some of the other um, aspects of, of the commitment to hiring vets? Ryder's buddy program pairs a, a current uh, employee that works for Ryder with an incoming new hire to the company. And we're trying to establish a connection point for that new employee to come, come into the company, have a warm onboarding experience, and then guide that employee throughout their career down the right path. Help with the transition, give them a touch point, somebody that has more than likely gone through a lot of the same challenges um, transitioning, and helping to coach them in their, in their rider career. And then we have the Pathway Home Program, which is centered and geared towards technicians that uh, currently work in the military. And nine months before they're going to um, end their military career, we, we will connect them with a, a leader at Ryder 
that uh, they may be may be working for in the in the nine months after they separate from the military, and we'll place that military member into a territory or an area where they are are going to be relocating to after their military service. So we'll take those technicians and we'll find them a location where they can become a rider technician. We'll start them off and onboard them right after they uh, they end their military service. So two great programs that, that we leverage here at Ryder, and I think that's helped with a smooth transition for our military veterans and um, has really gotten them off to a fast start uh, within our organization. Yeah, it sounds like that kind of support is, is really, really important. What advice would you give to companies looking to expand their reach and tap into this demographic, you know, to other companies across the logistics industry? You know, what are some first steps to attracting talent from this pool? Yeah, my, my advice would be to tap into your current workforce of, of prior military uh, employees. So whether you have veterans on your team or anybody that served, pull them in and help them establish or set up a, a program to help bring in and attract uh, veterans and military people to, to your organization. I think you'll find that their, their guidance and recommendations will be on point with who you're targeting to attract and they'll gladly participate uh, and welcome the opportunity to get engaged to, to um, recruit for their, their organization. Any other thoughts you'd like to share on this topic um, or you know, about uh, as we uh, honor Veterans Day uh, coming up here? Well, I will share that uh, the Marines are actively collecting toys for tots and anybody that's interested donate a toy this year, which promotes delivering hope to children at Christmas time and beyond. And we have over 150 rider locations currently collecting and accepting toy donations on behalf of the Marines and, and the Toys for Tots organization. So if anybody's interested in that, they can visit rider.com or toysfortots.org to learn more information. Terrific, thank you. Yeah, I know that program well, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. Um, Evan, thank you again for joining us today. We really appreciate your, uh, your being here. Victoria, thanks so much for having me. Happy birthday, November 10th, to all the Marines out there, Semper Fi, and thank you to all the veterans that have served this great country. Excellent, I agree, thank you. We have been talking with Evan Dexter of Rider System. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Evan and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about some new strategies being used in California to move from diesel to electric trucks. Can you share some details? Yeah, I'm glad to. Uh, California is known for leading the way on policy innovations in the US. It often sets new standards that spread to other states. And that's certainly true with its recent law that requires about half the trucks sold in California are gonna to have to be all electric by 2035. Uh, and all of the new cars sold after that date must be electric. Now that's pretty aggressive and the state's gonna need a lot of changes to support that new approach. Uh, investing in charging networks, of course, and training fleet owners how to maintain the new technology. So it was interesting this week when we covered a part of that effort because it reveals some strategies that might help the state to reach that goal. This was an offer from the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach to award $60 million in vouchers for the purchase of those new electric trucks. 
Now, the first part that caught my eye was that these are drayage trucks, which, of course, they shuttle shipping containers for short distances around the port complex. And that's a really different business case than electrifying long-haul highway trucks, because drayage trucks are never very far away from the facility where they operate. So charging up again can be done right there in the freight yard where they work, as opposed to the need to build out huge networks of electric charging plugs to complement highway gas stations for those long-range trucks. Yeah, that approach would make some, uh, adopting electric trucks a lot easier, but where does this money come from? Mm, that's another interesting part of the deal. Uh, so this is funded by a program with the California Air Resources Board, or CARB. Their name comes up a lot with these initiatives. Uh, so CARB collects a fee of $10 on every loaded container that arrives or departs from those two seaports, the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach. Uh, $10 doesn't sound like much, uh, but the Port of Los Angeles alone handled more than 10 million container units in 2021. Uh, that's the most recent year they shared stats. Uh, that was the busiest calendar year in its history. Uh, those were both full and empty, of course, but just to give an idea of the scale, uh, you start multiplying that $10 fee by multiple millions, and that's how you generate uh, this kind of a voucher system. Uh, the ports will award this money in the form of vouchers that can be used to buy certain types of vehicles from certain dealers. It will award up to about $100,000 uh, discount per truck. Uh, and there are other state funds as well that give about another $150,000 per truck. So it adds up to quite a lot of backing. And altogether, these programs are intended to support the purchase and the deployment of about 800 new zero emission trucks at those two ports. So when you get up into these numbers, it could really start to make a difference. Right. And it definitely does seem to be a step in the right direction for California. We'll be sure to keep an eye on it. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, you wrote this week about how manufacturers are sharpening their focus on the front line. Can you explain what that's all about? Yes, absolutely. Happy to. Um, so facing a host of economic and labor challenges, manufacturers are, as you say, sharpening their focus on frontline workers. And this is a way uh, to differentiate and propel their organizations forward. Um, and that's according to recent research from the consultancy PWC um, and the Manufacturing Institute, which is the workforce and development arm of the National Association of manufacturers. So the groups uh, together surveyed more than 100 human resources professionals and operations leaders in manufacturing during the third quarter of this year. Um, and their goal was really to learn more about frontline workers' workplace needs and preferences, how those needs and preferences have changed, and what their organizations are doing to help improve those workers' overall work experience. The, the idea is to learn how manufacturing companies can do a better job of attracting and retaining um, skilled talent in this tough economic environment. Uh, the groups define a frontline worker, I should say, as an hourly skilled employee who uh, plays a direct role in production, and that includes jobs in the warehouse, fabrication, assembly, logistics, maintenance, and quality operations. So, um, you know, what we write about and uh, talk about every day here. Nearly half of those surveyed, um, just about 48%, said their companies have an average or below average approach to creating a positive experience for those frontline workers. Uh, that positive experience includes things like making the workplace more satisfying and meaningful uh, in ways that go beyond just providing a good salary. Uh, doing this will be a key uh, factor for manufacturers over the next year, according to the research, because more than half of the respondents, 62%, 
40% actually said they expect to increase their frontline workforce over the next 12 months. Victoria, you mentioned about a positive experience. Did the research reveal any specifics about what contributes to a positive experience in manufacturing? What did the results show? Yes, it did. Um, and many of these issues um, are in line with, I think, what we think about as positive aspects of any workplace. Uh, they pointed to flexible scheduling, broader and more competitive benefits, um, a sense of belonging and uh, culture of inclusivity, and a clear-cut path to career advancement. Uh, those were the top issues identified. And again, I think these are things, you know, I think all of us appreciate in a job. But it looks like many organizations have a way to go before uh, they get to that point. And just a few other statistics from the uh, research. Uh, more than a third of manufacturers said they experienced frontline employee attrition rates exceeding 10% over the last uh, past six months. Uh, only about half of uh, manufacturing leaders said that most of their frontline workers feel they're engaged in their jobs. Uh, just 58% said they period periodically survey their frontline workers about um, their opinions on employee employment engagement and culture. And more than 70% of uh, the manufacturer's surveys said they either struggle with or could improve uh, their mentoring programs for frontline workers. Another interesting statistic that caught my eye was that uh, they found that half of manufacturing respondents offer their frontline workers uh, dynamic scheduling solutions, and that includes things like the ability to bid, bid on and swap shifts uh, for um, flexible scheduling. Uh, to me, this actually seems like a pretty good number because the, the, the gig worker experience is really just beginning to take hold um, in logistics and manufacturing, um, in my experience writing about it. Um, so for what that's worth, you know, half of companies are doing that and it's probably uh, they're on the right track, I would think. Right. And I think as reshoring begins to be more prevalent with domestic manufacturing coming home, seems like those are all logical steps to make sure that they have the workers that they're going to need to meet the demand. Absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also, check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics that we discussed today. And we'd like to thank Evan Dexter of Rider System for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Search for Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Heister. With strength, durability, and their continual focus on safety, Heister is powering your possibilities. For more information, visit heister.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.